God. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses commanded you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote to you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us pray now. Father, we stand before you, the creator of the universe, the God Almighty who knows all things, including our most hidden thoughts. Lord, Lord, we need this morning the help of your Holy Spirit, not only to make us believe in the truth of your word, but also to convict and change our hearts as we hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When we go to a movie, don't you hate missing the first five and ten minutes? It's so hard to figure out the story of the movie if we do. Because beginnings are important. Beginnings of the movies are important for us to understand the movies. And the beginning of creation is important for us to understand the history of mankind. As a matter of fact, if anyone wants to understand the Bible, he cannot do it without understanding the foundations of everything else that God has done and is doing in our days, which is found in the first three books, three chapters of the Bible, in the first three chapters of Genesis. Jesus, he's doing exactly this. He's reminding his disciples of what God has done in creation to give them a foundation to understand what marriage is and what was God's intent when he instituted the, the marriage and the families in creation. 
So when, as we go to this text, I want you to see, Christian, this morning, that marriage is an institution created by God to reflect the commitment of Christ to his church. Marriage is an institution created by God that reflects the commitment of your Savior to his church. So our first heading here is that marriage is an institution or marriage is instituted by God. You see, as we take a closer look on this text, we see again Jesus on his way, walking through Judea with his disciples, teaching them as he usually did, always teaching his disciples, always preparing them to what was going to happen after his ascension. And it is in that moment that we are told here in verse 2 that the Pharisees, they come to Jesus with a testing question. And the first thing that we should be asking about this passage is, why is this a testing question? And I believe that the answer for this question is because John the Baptist, he had been beheaded because of the way that he answered the question about marriage. Remember, John the Baptist, he had confronted the governor of that region, Herod, about his unlawful marriage. And because of that, he died. So this is a, is a testing question in the sense that depending on the way that Jesus answers this question, the Pharisees, they're, they're waiting because they want to destroy Jesus. Remember that. They, they want to destroy Jesus. They're waiting that Herod is going to come after Jesus and do the same thing that he did with John the Baptist. So that is a passing question that the Pharisees, they are presenting to Jesus. But listen on verse 3, and I hope you have your Bibles uh, with you so you can follow with me. Jesus, he answers their passing question using the Bible, right? That's how we answer every question that we have about our lives. That's how we find the information that God has given to us, the principles to govern our lives, our marriage, everything that we do in life. The Bible is sufficient for everything that we need in this life. So Jesus, knowing that, he answers using the Bible. What did Moses commanded you? And the answer said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Where, from where are the Pharisees taking this passage, this information? They are taking from a passage that's found in Deuteronomy 24. And I would like you to open your Bibles with me in Deuteronomy 24. Because that's a very important text in Scripture. And it's important for us to understand what is happening here in this passage. So Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. We find the following information. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, 
If the later, later husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then the former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For this is an abomination to the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now go back with me on verse 1. You see that word there, uncleanness. So the big debate on Jesus' time was about what that single word meant in this passage. What it means to a wife to be uncleanness, unclean. So there was two schools of thought in Jesus' time. And one of them would say this uncleanness means a sexual immoral act. And the other group would say, well, that can mean anything. So they would divorce his wife for not washing the dishes one night. You give her a letter of divorce next day because she forgot to wash the dishes. So there was a liberal and a more conservative side on this matter and how to interpret this text. But listen to how Jesus he answers the Pharisees. A quote of this passage. He says in verse 5. Because of the hardness of your heart. He, Moses, wrote you this precept. You see the reason for Moses to permit people to divorce in the Old Testament. Is because of the hardness of the heart. The hardness of the heart means that our heart because of our fallen nature because we sin against God in creation it has become heart our nature doesn't believe in God our nature doesn't like to obey God and that's why the Bible talks so much about the need of a new birth the need of being regenerate the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming to the life of a believer, of a new believer, and change his heart of stone and giving him a heart of flesh so he can obey God. So because of the hardness of the heart, which is this figure of speech of man falling nature, God had permitted divorce. But Jesus, he goes back to the beginning to give us a better understanding of marriage. And what Jesus is doing here is giving us a biblical definition of marriage. He starts on verse 6, reminding us of the purpose and how God uh, desired marriage to be. The first thing that he says is that marriage is an institution created by God. In the beginning of human history, prior to their fall, was no grounds for divorce. See, marriage is not something that was created by man. And therefore, mankind cannot define marriage apart from God. So God, he defines marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Look here how it says the text. 
male and female. So there is no marriage apart from that. It's always the union of a man and a woman. So even though our societies try really hard to define and redefine what marriage is, we stand with Scripture in the way that God created the world. Marriage is only, only happens when there is the union between a male and female. And Jesus, he says on verse 7, he keeps going. He says that the purpose of this marriage was to create a family. He says on verse 7, For this reason, a man shall, not leave, his, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. You see, what Jesus is saying here, that when a man and a woman, they come together... They are joined together in the sense that they're, they're glued together. There is no way, there is no way that it can be separated from each other. If you want to really hurt a marriage, it's to put what Jesus is saying here apart and forget about it. Let's just think about the example when people, they let their in-laws or their parents to come and having and giving all their opinions about their marriage. That hurts the marriage. That creates, creates conflict in the marriage. Because that's not the intent of God. When a man and a woman, they leave their parents' house. And they become one flesh. They become a new family. And as that new family, they are independent from their family that they had before. You see, that's why Jesus, he keeps saying on verse 8. And, they sh- and the two shall become one flesh they shall become one flesh it's interesting how Paul he explains this and he gives us even a better sight of what it means to be one flesh he says on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 3 and 4 that even when when a man and woman they gather together in a marriage they even lose the power over their own body. Look, for example, what he says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. He says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority of his own body, but the wife does. You see, we need to understand this. That the marriage is this union, this perfect union between a man and a woman. And when we hurt our conjugate, we are hurting ourselves. When we treat badly our spouses, we are treating badly ourselves. See, Peter, he gives a good example of that when he writes on 1 Peter 3, 7. That husbands, likewise they should... Give honor to their wife as the weaker vessel and as being their hairs together of the grace of life. Because if they don't do that, if they don't treat them well, if they don't treat them with grace, their prayers will be hindered. You see this union, it's this mystical, in a sense it's a mystical union between a man and a woman. It, it affects everything that we do. If we're hurting our spouse, 
we're hurting ourselves. And Jesus says that, and Peter says that we, God is not even listening to our prayers. So this biblical definition of marriage is something that is instituted by God, that is from the beginning of the world, that makes a man and woman to be one flesh, but that is also a covenant that we make between each other. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, the Word of God says that she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So a covenant is agreement, is a lawful agreement between two parties. This covenant is the invisible foundation that makes long-term marriages possible. You see, when we get married, God is establishing a covenant between man and wife, which is serious, which is sacred, and which, which is sacrificial. You see, when a man and a woman gets together, the math is like this. Sinner plus sinner, more sin. It's not easy. It's not like Hollywood and the TV likes to show like as this perfect thing happening, as this situation without conflicts happening, this perfect romance. But actually we find double sin, double need to sacrifice, double need to be patient, double need to love, double need to renounce ourselves. That's what a marriage is. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. And Jesus gave us, on verse 9, the ideal of marriages. He says on verse 9, Therefore, God, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Ideally, the word of God is saying here, is that there should be no divorce. It is contrary to what God desires most. That's why Malachi 2.16 we read that God he hates divorce. And Jesus' point here, Jesus' point here is clear. Even if your spouse is not the most wise, is the one who always had the bad jokes. Is the one who is annoying. Is the one that disagrees with you in everything. Is the one that spends much time looking at TV, fighting about things. Even if you don't feel like you love him and that you have different plans. Even when you, feel, you don't feel attracted to him. You don't think he's the smartest person in the world. You think that he has bad habits or even that he smells bad. The word is teaching that you are glued together. You both, when you have situations like this and you can only see bad things in your partner, in your spouse, both of you, you need to pray and seek God's mercy because, Christian, divorce is not an option for you. It's not an option for Christian. That's exactly what Jesus is reminding us here. But this teaching of Jesus also reminds us of the scandal 
that is present in the churches in our days. Because we live times of scandals inside the church, where churches, they are behaving like the world. They have completely abandoned the Bible's teaching on marriage. In one hand, we have fornicators, singles, having sex before marriage and thinking, everything's okay as long nobody's is catch, catching me or, or I'm not being excommunicated from the church. And the other side, you have people committing adultery in the church, divorcing without cause, thinking it is okay. I don't think that marriage is, is a great deal anyways. And for both of you, listen to what Paul, he writes in the book of Hebrews 13, as he's writing to the church, he's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church there saying, marriage is a honorable thing among all, and the bad undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. He's writing this to you if that's your case. You need to understand this, and you need to repent. You need to repent. And there is a transition happening here in verse 10 to 12. Because we don't live in an ideal world, do we? We live in, we live in a fallen world. world. And on, and on verse 10 to 12, we see the disciples asking him again. Which should give us a clue that this is not an easy topic. This is a very sensitive topic. To the point that now in private, the disciples are asking Jesus the same question again. Teach us about divorce. Teach us about the same thing. And many commentators, they, they, they fight over this text. One group says, well, this verse implies that marriage, uh, that divorce is not permeable in any situation. And the other ones, they say the opposite thing. But how can we know? And here's the point where we need to use the old principle that teaches that Scripture interprets Scripture. Every time that we face a passage in Scripture where we cannot be sure, we should use all the passages that talk about the same subject to bring light to the text that we can't understand. So we have seen Deuteronomy 24, which is the text that the Pharisees are quoting. But there is also another text in Scripture, which is found in Matthew 19, verse 9, that brings light to answer this question. Matthew 19, verse 9, Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her or who is divorced commits adultery. So in this passage, Jesus is giving to us an exception that allows for divorce. The exception is sexual immorality. And that word in Greek, it's what actually gives us the key to understand the biblical teaching on divorce. The Greek is porneia, the same word that we get our word pornography from. And it simply means sexual immorality, 
and fornication. But it can also mean, and is used in other ways in the New Testament. For example, in John 8, 41, we, the same word is used for primarial unchastity. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, it's used for prostitution. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1, it's used for incest. In Jeremiah 13, 27, we find the same word being used as adultery. In Jude, Jude 7, verse 7, we find the same word being used uh, to refer to homosexuality. And as we go to the New Testament, we see the equivalent word in Hebrew with an even more broader meaning. Like, for example, in the book of Judges, chapter 19, verse 2, the word in Hebrew for sexual immorality implies that a person is committing sexual immorality by abandoning their spouse. Uh, that's why in 1 Corinthians 7, we, we see Paul he giving another exception for divorce, which is, one, which is when one spouse abandons the other one. And we even find in Exodus 34, verse 15, the same word being used and being translated as idolatry or playing the harlot against God. Now the real question is how we can make sense of all these different meanings and different ways that the Bible uses this word. You see, first we need to understand that scripture is sufficient even in these sensitive matters. If one spouse's break breaks the covenant by sin of commission, sexual infidelity, physical abuse, pornography, he's committing fornication. That's clear from Scripture. It seems as well that the sin of omission in Scripture, of depriving one of the spouse of food, of company, departing from the spouse, emotional abandonment, also qualifies as fornication according to the Bible. An example of this is found in Exodus 21, verse 10 and 11, where the wife who is being depraved from her rights as a wife, she gains the right to become free of her marriage commitment. And this whole idea of divorce and the biblical teaching of divorce, of, can, of course it can become blurry. Think, for example, a person who looks at pornography. The Bible says that he is lusting his heart and he has committed adultery in his heart. When does pornography become a ground for divorce? When a person looks at one time, a hundred times, a millions of times? When I see something, when I touch something, how much? And what? Be, what is necessary for all those actions to become a grounds for divorce? A video call? A husband or a wife texting another one saying that he loves someone that he's not his wife? Is that a ground for divorce? Somebody coming and accusing his conjugate, his spouse of, of a physical abuse? Is that a ground for divorce? How can we know if it's true? I remember a pastor friend of mine telling me that he was having a meeting in the office with one of the husbands, 
or one of the men of his church, and he suddenly gets a call, and guess what? It's his wife. And she's like, my husband just beat me. And he's like, your husband is here. That's impossible. So it becomes blurry. We need those things. They, they need investigation. Some people, they will claim, well, I'm divorcing my husband because he spiritually abused me. What that even means? How can we understand and answer all these questions? What is, what is the solution? And the solution, according to the Bible, is the church. Listen to me. The church is the divine institution created by God to help you in these situations. Divorce is a case of sin. It's a case of church discipline. The church must be involved in it. The church is the one who has a spiritual authority over the situations to define if this is a sin or not, if, to define if this person is repented or not. And guess what? We're never going to see a case like the other one. All the cases, they're different from each other. They're never going to come with the same arguments. They're never going to come in the same circumstances. Every situation is a case. And individual believers, they're not left by themselves to decide if he has a case for divorce or not. You see, Christian, there is no such thing as a non-fault divorce. We don't find that in the Bible. As a Christian... If there is an offended part, divorce is always, always the last resource. Of course, the first one is reconciliation and forgiveness. If your marriage is in Christ, if you want to glorify God in your marriage, I urge you to come and talk with the leadership of your church. You need to know this. The church is here to serve you. The church is here to help you to see how God he can change and bless your marriage through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek help. Also, and this may be a surprise for many, let me remind you that marriage is a covenant. And because it is a covenant, it can be broken. A Christian is never, never obligated to stay some, with someone that breaks the covenant. Never obligating scripture. Even if that person comes with tears and asking for forgiveness, what you are obligated to do is to forgive. Not to stay with that person. Finally. Not finally, almost there. One more thing. Anywhere you go, in your life as a Christian, and you need to find a new church, let me remind you to look for three marks in your church. Biblical preaching, the sacraments, and church discipline. 
You don't want to find yourself, as I heard these last few weeks, somebody who is in your church and comes after the pastor with a big problem like this. And the pastor says, oh, join this WhatsApp group. They're going to help you. You don't want to find yourself in a church like that. Find a church where there are elders that love God's people. They are willing to help you to go through tough times in your life because they always, they're always there. And lastly, now finally, anyone who has been through a illegitimate divorce or sinned sexually against his or her spouse needs to know that these are not unforgivable sins. They are not unforgivable sins. These sins are what sent your Savior, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Exactly these ones. And you ought to put your trust in Him who is able and who is ready to forgive you from your sins. You see, Christians, like the movie, creation teaches about marriage as this sacred institution. You want to know what God is teaching you about your marriage? Go to the Bible. Be instructed by God, not by the culture. Be instructed by God, not by what society is saying. Be instructed by the Word of God, not what your feelings are saying. And may the Lord help us this morning to reflect in our own lives the need to be and to have marriages that reflect the love of Christ for His bride. Let us pray now. Lord, we thank You and we praise Your name. For You gave us Your only Son to die for us and to give His life for our sins. Teaching us, O oh Lord, what sacrificial love is. What do you want from us in marriage? Teaching us, O oh Lord, that we live in a world that's a falling world. That's not the ideal. But, O oh Lord, there is a hope. There is hope in Jesus. The one who does the new creation. Who starts all things all over again in him help us O oh lord to turn to jesus as we O oh lord we face problems in our marriages as the culture battles O oh lord against the church and help us O oh lord to uphold these standards that your bible gives to us O oh lord regarding marriage we pray all these things in jesus name amen let us now worship the Lord one more time, singing and praising Him.